What's up, everybody? My name is Shane Kohler, and this is The Conscious Love Show. Thanks so much for joining me here, where each week I'm sharing true-to-life insights and experiences from my journey and how I've created the loving and committed partnership I have today. I answer your questions and have live discussions with you so I can support you in your specific situation. And I bring in experts and people who know their stuff so we can all learn from their perspectives. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you'd leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love. Okay, so hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Conscious Love Show podcast. Um, as always, it's a pleasure, and I'm very much looking forward to being with you today in today's conversation. And the the topic that I've been um, that I've been thinking about in the last few days, and really kind of putting my thoughts together around it, I'm I'm very excited about it because it's a uh, it's a powerful one. And so the the question I want to address today is where are all the good men? And why can't I find them? And so for, for all the ladies out there, those of you, maybe some of you are with me live today. Um, some of you will definitely be hearing this on the show. But, you know, really ask yourself that question, like, where are all the good men and why can't I find them? And I see the, you know, I see the comments. And I was just looking through, you know, some of the posts that have recently gone up this week. And I was um, just reading through some of the things that are that are being said and, you know, things like, um, you know, men need to grow a pair and, you know, there's no excuse for this kind of behavior. And just the, I, I want to say that I understand where it comes from and I'm not even judging, like I get it, you know, and I, I get how, how painful the relationships between men and women can be. And I also get that historically, um, women have been very disempowered by men. And, and now we're, we're getting into a, a place in our collective evolution where that's beginning to change. It, it is in the beginnings of change, right? But it is beginning to change. And, and now we're seeing women becoming empowered, which is a very good thing. And I 100% support it. And it needs to happen. It's needed to happen for a long time. But in the in the space of women becoming empowered, something that is also coming up within that is a lot of anger and hatred towards men. And again, I understand it. I get it. I, I, I see why it's there. I can't even say it's wrong or, or that it doesn't have a place. But ultimately, you know, in the, in the big picture, when we really talk about what healing looks like, that needs to that needs to pass as well. Because in order for any of us to be happy in this world, in order for any of us to be, you know, to really feel great about who we are, feel great about the life that we're living, you know, feel loved and cherished and honored and accepted, the, the hate and the anger and the, the hurt needs to leave. There, there needs to be a collective forgiveness that happens where we put the past behind us and we say, look, what, what happened happened and you know, right, wrong, good, bad, like it doesn't really matter. But what we need to do is put the past behind us and we need to decide how we're going to relate with each other and how we're going to be moving forward. 
And so what, is, what does any of that have to do with today's conversation, right? Some of you might be wondering, okay, well, I don't, I'm not connecting the dots here. Well, this is what it has to do with today's conversation. When we talk about where are all the good men and why can't you find them? The good men are everywhere. They're everywhere all the time. And the craziest thing is that even a lot of the men that you might've said were bad men, or you might have characterized them as a jerk or an asshole or a narcissist or whatever, like even a lot of them aren't as bad as you think they are. But what's happened, and I'm not, I want you to understand, I'm not pointing the finger here. I'm not blaming. I'm not saying it's this person's fault or that person's fault. I think there is a huge misunderstanding happening between everybody, right? Men, women, and everyone. There, there's a huge lack of clarity a lack of understanding, a confusion. And, and I see someone's comment right now and you say, I mean, a narc is a narc. Okay, well, you've got to understand most of the people that are being called narcissists are not clinical narcissists, right? And so you, even right now in this conversation, you want to check in with your own righteousness and where is your heart so closed off that you just want to point the finger? Like you, you because if we're going to heal if we're going to evolve, if we're going to move past all the pain and suffering that has dominated our lives for however many thousands of years, like if we're going to move beyond that, then we've each got to choose to take a responsibility that like, I'm going to stop pointing the finger. Yeah. A narc is a narc. Okay. Well, you know what? Truth is narcissists, real narcissists are a very small percentage of the people in our world. It's a very, very small percentage of the people in our world that are real narcissists. And if you are, if you are attracting or inviting relationships with those people in your life, the thing to do is not to point the finger at them and say, oh, well, they're a narc or they're an asshole. The question is, why are you open to relationships with people who treat you like that? And so again, we've, we've got to take responsibility for this and stop blaming and stop pointing the finger because when you point the finger and, and someone else points the finger and the other person points the finger and we're all pointing the finger at each other, nobody's getting any better. All we're doing is continuing to suffer and, and, and the suffering is being perpetuated and spread onto more and more and more and more people. And these toxic ideas about men and about women are being spread from woman to woman and from man to man. And it's, it's creating, we're, we're spreading them to our children and it's creating these unconscious defenses and this unconscious resistance that is, that is constantly building the barriers to be stronger and stronger and stronger. And again, until you, and I say you, I mean you, the person who's hearing this message right now. I also mean me, myself, until you make the personal choice to stop living your life on that basis, pointing the finger, being a victim, it's always everyone else's fault, but it has nothing to do with me. It, it was it was the narcissist, right? right? Like until you make the personal choice to start to stop pointing the finger and take some responsibility, your life is not going to get any better. You're not going to feel better about yourself. You're not going to feel confident. You're not going to feel empowered in your life. You're not going to create the kinds of relationships you want. You're not going to attract the kinds of people you want to be with because I'll just put it this way. Darkness in any form, 
no matter how justifiable it may be. Darkness in any form always creates more darkness. And light always creates more light. And so the question that each of us have to ask ourselves is, are we going to be an agent of darkness or an agent of light? Are we going to be so addicted to our pain and our suffering and our hurt and, and so committed to all the reasons, like all the, all the ways I've been hurt and all the ways I've been victimized? And am I just going to perpetuate that? and tell that story and live into that? Or am I going to rise above that? And am I going to become something greater than that? Am I going to become somebody who can spread light in the world versus spreading darkness? And I understand you've been hurt. I get it. For the ladies out there, I understand that men have hurt you. And for the men out there, I understand that women have hurt you. I get it. I get it that everybody's angry and hurt and has felt disregarded and misunderstood and like you don't get me and you don't care. We've all felt that way. But the question is, are we going to be people who are defined by that? Or are we going to bring forward something greater than that and create a new relationship with men, women, with life as a whole? And so that's what I really want to speak into today. And, and in addressing the question of where are the good men, why can't I find them, going back to what I said earlier, is they are everywhere. They're everywhere, all the time, in every situation. I mean, you go out of your house and you walk down the street. Make, make note of every man you see when you walk down the street. And we could say 80 to 90% of them will be good men. Men who are not trying to hurt anybody. Men who have sincere intentions. And I'm not saying they, you know, all want to be the best husband in the world. Like, you know, they may have different opinions and different views on that. But they are human beings with good hearts who want people to do well. They want to do well themselves. They want you to do well. They don't want to hurt anyone. And, and yes, there is this small... There's this small group of men and women, right? It's not all on one side, but let's just talk about men for a minute. There's a small group of men, we could say that fall into that narcissist category or fall into that category of, I don't really give a fuck. I don't care who I hurt. I don't care how my actions impact other people. I'm just here to take what I want as much as I can for as long as I can and get the most for me. And I don't give a fuck what happens to anyone else. Yes. There is a section, a small subset of men in the world that live on that basis. But men as a whole are not defined by that. And so this is the question I want to pose for all the ladies out there. And this might be a, this might be a challenging question to ask yourself. But if you feel like there are no good men out there, if you feel like all the men are toxic or they don't care or they don't want a real relationship or they don't give a fuck about your feelings and they just hurt you and disregard you and like, the, you know, like if that's how you feel about men, then I would challenge you to question yourself. How did you arrive at that place? 
How did you arrive at that place of feeling that that's what men are? Because I, I don't think you would really disagree with me. If you really, if you really sat down and asked yourself the question consciously, are all men bad? Like the, the answer would be an obvious no, right? Like if, if you look at maybe your father or your grandfather and, and I understand that like some of you had really toxic fathers. So maybe your father's not the best example, but some of you would look at your father and you would go, my father is a good man. Right. Or, or brothers, if you have brothers, again, some of you may have had toxic brothers, so it might not apply to everyone, but a lot of you look at your brothers and you say, you know, my brothers are good men. Or if you've had male friends throughout your life and you could say, well, they're good men, right? Or if you have, you have friends who are married or in healthy relationships and you say, my friend is married to a good man, right? Or if you look at the guy at the grocery store who helps you take your groceries to your car and it's like, well, he seems like a good man, right? Or you look at the different men you see on social media, like people like myself or, or other, you know, coaches and teachers, and you can objectively recognize like these are some good men in the world, right? Or, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on, right? The good men are everywhere. They're all over the place. And if you really look and you really pay attention, you'll see that. You'll recognize that men are not bad. Men are not evil. Men are not out to get you or out to hurt you. They're just who they are. And what I want to say is that even a lot of those good men that you might see in the world, your father, your brothers, your friends, the guy who helps you take your groceries to your car at the grocery store, right? Like even the, the quote, good men in the world, if you were to, if you were to look behind the curtain, and look into the most intimate aspects of their lives, you would find toxic elements. And I'm not just saying that about men, by the way. The same is true for women, right? All the good women in the world, all the sincere, kind-hearted, loving, generous women in the world, if you pull back the curtain and you look at what's going on behind the curtain, you look at the things that they don't share with the world, you look at yourself, and I'm talking about myself too, right? Then you will see that there are toxic elements in yourself, in myself, in all of us. And I see the comment here. You say, it seems to me that all they want is sex, at least online. And thank you so much for bringing that into the space today because I'm going to talk about that. And that is, I would say that is one of the most fundamental misunderstandings that creates a block between men and women being able to get along well is that point you just brought up right now, that all they want is sex, at least online. So I am going to address that today, and thank you for bringing it up. But, but what I wanted to say there was that, you know, if you look at any human being, man or woman, and you pull back the curtain and you look at the intimate elements of their life, their lives, you will see that there are toxic elements in all of us. There are aspects of ourselves that are wounded from childhood, from adolescence, from earlier times in our lives that are still unresolved, that still have not been healed, that have not been integrated, that have not been brought to a point of, again, health or integration or, or completion. And so in those, in those places 
where those unhealed wounds are, and then you get intimately involved with someone, or you start asking that person for commitment, or you start you know, getting behind the curtain and, and getting into the heart of what's really going on with that person, sometimes those toxic elements are going to surface. And some people tend to be more anxious in relationship based on their wounding. Some people tend to be more avoidant in relationship based on their wounding. The anxious people say, love me, love me, love me, pay attention to me, care for me, be attentive to me, want me, desire me, call me, text me. And the avoidant people say, whoa, like I need some space. You're coming on a little strong here. Like, and, and both, both the anxious and the avoidant are, are ways of attempting to protect yourself. And I see this comment here, and I'm loving these comments today because you're really, you're really shedding light on exactly what I'm talking about. So thank you. Thank you for dropping these comments in. And someone says, securely attached men are hard to find. Feels like most men are avoidant in nature. Well, there's definitely some truth to that. But let me say this. Securely attached people are hard to find. And you might say that it seems like most men are avoidant in nature. Well, you could easily say that most women are anxious in nature. And there are a lot of men that are anxious and a lot of women that are avoidant, <laughs> right? So it's, it's not a total thing. But th this is what you've got to recognize is wherever you point the finger, and I know you've heard this before, wherever you point the finger, there are three fingers pointing back at you, right? And so let's just take the comment for a moment and, and please understand, like I'm saying this with love, I'm saying this with a commitment to create awareness and clarity and empower you so you can get better results with men and in life overall. Right now, you can resist what I'm saying. You can argue with what I'm saying. And if you want to do that, that's fine. I mean, I don't need to convince you, but no healing is going to happen here if you do that. But if you say something like it seems like most men are avoidant in nature, which I'm not saying is a false statement. There is truth in that. But if that's what you focus in on, right? Like it's not about like any, any accusation somebody makes, there's truth in it. It doesn't come from nowhere. It's based on a real valid experience. But you've also got to ask yourself, if that's my perception of reality, if that's my understanding of men, if that's my understanding of the world we live in, if that's how it shows up for me, if that's how I experience it, then on some level, I've got to recognize that that is a reflection of myself. It's not just something that is objectively happening in the world that has nothing to do with me. Because there are a lot of women out there in the world that don't feel that way. They're actually, and, and I know this because I coach them, <laughs> Right? Like there are a lot of women who feel like every man they meet is very anxious. And every man they meet is trying to lock them down into a relationship and they're like, I don't even know you yet. And that is their perception of the world based on where they come from, based on their upbringing and their conditioning and the way they understand life. And so if your perception if your perspective on life and the world and men and all of that says that men are mostly avoidant or says that men only want sex, 
Again, I'm not saying that's not true to an extent. I'm not saying you don't have real valid experience to reinforce that and back that up. But what I am saying is that's a reflection of where you operate from. And so for the person who thinks that all men are avoidant or that most men are avoidant by nature, I would ask yourself to consider what's your relationship with your own anxiousness? Are you so, I want to be gentle with how I say this because this isn't an accusation. It's an inquiry. It's, it's an invitation to open up a new awareness for yourself. But are you so addicted to your own anxious feelings and your own anxious experience of life and your own fear that it's not going to happen for you and that you can't trust men and that you're going to be let down? Like, are you so addicted to all of that? that that's all you see in men. You see, these are some powerful questions to ask yourself. And if you want to point the finger, if you want to say, it's all about them, it has nothing to do with me, I'm perfectly healed, I'm perfectly integrated, I have it all together, and men are just fucked up. If you want to do that, do it. I'm not going to stop you. But what I'm going to say is nothing's going to change for you. Nothing's going to improve. Your awareness is not going to improve. Your level of like connectedness, your ability to be uh, confident and, and like, and feel worthy. Like none of that's going to change because you've got to understand all of those accusations, all of the time you point the finger and all of the times you blame all that you're really doing with that is reinforcing all the beliefs that make you want to point the finger to begin with. And all those beliefs are the very things that have landed you in the predicament you're currently in. And so you're just perpetuating it. And here's, the, here's maybe the saddest part of it. The saddest part of it is that when you perpetuate it like that, you don't just do it for yourself, but you pass it on to other people. And you spread those beliefs around like a virus and other people buy into it. And it creates this, it creates this cultural conditioning that we're all stuck in. And what I want to say is when it comes to where are all the good men or the men are asking, where are all the good women? When it comes to really answering that question, you've got to understand that what we're dealing with is years and years and years of cultural conditioning of men showing up a certain way and women showing up a certain way. And there being this misunderstanding and this confusion between them and this inability for, for each other to connect to the heart of each other, to connect to the truth of each other. And, and so our walls and our barriers get bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's perpetuated and reinforced And we think it's the truth, but it's not because underneath, like if you go behind those walls, what you'll see on both sides, the side of women and the side of men, is that there's, there's just a human being there who wants to love and wants to be loved, who wants to be important, who wants to be valid, who wants to be cared about, who wants to be seen who has needs that they want those needs to be met. 
And so let's talk about some of the ways this shows up because I want to go back to an earlier comment that it seems like men only want sex. And I get that. And I totally, totally understand how it could seem that way. But let's talk about let's talk about why it seems that way. Like, you know, you've got to you've got to ask yourself what's going on for men that they're showing up like this. And then you've got to ask yourself what's going on for me that I relate to it like this. Because do men want sex? Yes, they do. Men want sex. And most men unless they're highly religious unless they have a certain value system that has been brought them up to say that they need to wait until they're married or they need to wait. And you know, like most men, unless they have a strong cultural upbringing that says otherwise, they want to have sex. They want to have sex often. And they often don't really care who it's with, right? Like largely most people will do. And I know like that might sound awful when I say it that way, but you've got to, instead of judging that, instead of judging that and saying, oh, men are disgusting because they'll just have sex with whoever. Well, can you understand that that's actually a trauma response? Can you understand that that behavior comes from a lack of education that the young boys in our society have not received. Like, you see, when we go to judgment right away, when we go to criticism right away, when we, when we immediately say someone is wrong and I'm right, that my perspective is right and someone else's perspective is wrong, what happens is we close off compassion there's no ability to be compassionate for the other person's experience of the situation. And then what happens is that we, we end up just digging our heels into our position and, and no connection happens. And this is what I want to say to all the ladies out there. And, and like, please understand, I, I know that, that men's sexual indiscretions and their, their inability to be like, responsible and mature with their sexual relationships has caused you a lot of pain. I understand that. And I, I have a lot of compassion for that. Like I, I understand what women have gone through in this regard. And I have an incredible amount of compassion for that. And I don't think it's okay. Personally, I think men need to mature in this way. But the difference between me and a lot of people is I don't only see one side of it because I am a man and I was brought up in the culture that the men around me have been brought up in. And I know the impressions that were impressed upon me around sex, around relationships with women. You see, I know as a young boy, when I was in my teenage years and I was exploring my sexuality and I was exploring my first, you know, adult ish relationships with women. I know that as I was exploring that, the older men around me, my father and my uncles and his friends were delivering very, very toxic ideas about that. And I became a product of those toxic ideas. Why? Because that's what I was taught that how I was supposed to be a man. 
And I was taught that that's what it means to be a man. And so I understand that being taught those things and acting out in those things hurts women. And I have learned that and I have matured beyond that and I have developed a greater awareness, but I also have compassion for the men who didn't. Because maybe they didn't have the perspective that I was given. Maybe they didn't have the kinds of mentors that I was given. Maybe they didn't have the opportunity to meet the kinds of amazing women that I've had the opportunity to meet. And so we've, the, the message that I'm really getting across here is we need to withhold our tendency to judge and be willing to be curious be willing to meet a be willing to meet the opposite sex in a spirit of compassion and a willingness to understand so if if you if you're on dating apps for example and you're feeling like men only want sex right or they they bring up sex right away or they they say that you know uh, or they're just looking for a hookup or whatever right First, can you recognize that that's a trauma response? Can you see underneath that, that you're not really dealing with a grown man? Now, he might be a grown man in some respects. He might own a home. He might have a big job. He might, like, you know, in in some respects of his life, he might be a grown man. But underneath that, can you see that when when he starts talking to you and he immediately brings the conversation to sex, can you see that there's a wounded little boy in there? There's a wounded little boy in there that is saying, please have sex with me. Please be sexually attracted to me. Please want me in that way because you wanting me in that way is going to make me feel like I'm enough of a man is going to make me feel worthy as a man, is going to make me feel desirable as a man. Now, I know like a a lot of women right now, as I say this, are going to immediately say, well, that's no excuse. And can you understand that I'm not saying that it's an excuse? I'm saying, can you understand where he's coming from and why he's showing up that way? Not to excuse his behavior but to open up a space in yourself where you can be more loving than you were before, where your heart can be a little bit bigger than it was before. Now, that, that is the time, so let's just keep going with it. If you start talking to a man, you barely, you're barely getting to know him, and he immediately brings the conversation to sex, that is your place to create a boundary. Like, and this is the thing. I remember I had a client once. Um, and, and by the way, I just want to share this client is now happily married. She met a, she met a man in Paris. He moved her to Paris, married her. They're having their second child right now. It might've been born last, last I heard she was pregnant with it. Right. So like, I just want to give you context for where she was when we started and where she is now. But this was a woman who had a lot of resistance and resentment towards men. She didn't trust men. 
she, so she would get in, she would get intensely triggered anytime a man would try to be sexual with her. And this is what I said to her. I said, so when you find your partner, when you find the man of your dreams, do you want him to not be sexually attracted to you? And she goes, well, no, of course not. When I meet the man of my dreams, of course I want him to be sexually attracted to me. And then this is what I said to her. I said, okay, so when you meet a man and he's sexually attracted to you, that's actually a green flag. That is actually one of the boxes on your list is being checked right there. He's sexually attracted to me. Check. Now, if you're not ready to go there with him, that's where you need to be honest about what your boundaries are. That's where you need to be honest about the kind of relationship you want to create. At what stage in the relationship you feel comfortable taking that step with someone. And you need to communicate where you're coming from in the same way that he's communicating where he's coming from. You see, he's saying, I want to have sex right now. I have, I have nothing holding me back. I don't have those values. That The waiting is not important to me. Like, I'm okay with having sex, and if our relationship goes somewhere, awesome. If it doesn't, that's okay too. But, you know, I'm okay with having sex anyway. That's where he's coming from. And what I'm suggesting here is that it's not wrong for him to come from that place. Now, we could make an argument that maybe that's not the healthiest place to come from. Maybe there's a better approach and maybe he could mature and grow into that in the same way that I have. But it's not wrong for him to feel that way. It's not wrong for him to desire that. He's just being honest with you about what he wants. And when he's honest with you about what he wants, that's your opportunity to be honest with him about what you want. So he says, I want to have sex right now. I just met you. Waiting isn't important to me. I want to go for it right now. And that's where you say, okay, I totally respect that, but I'm not ready for that. I feel like I need to get to know you first. I feel like we need to build some rapport. I feel like we should go on at least a few dates or, or you know, whatever your stipulation is, whatever your boundaries say, whatever your value system says. And then so he communicates what's important to him, what he wants. You communicate what's important to you, what you want. And now the two of you engage and see if there's a way to compromise and work this out. And if there's not, if you can't find that place to meet in the middle, then you say, look, it's been fun getting to know you. I hope you find what you're looking for. I'm not that. And he says, I get it. No worries, wish you the best, and boom, you go your separate ways. Or he says, hey, I get that that's important to you, and it's not important to me, but I'll wait because you seem like a really awesome person, and I want to get to know you. And of course, like I'd be willing to have sex tonight, but if I need to wait a little while and get to know you and that's important to you, I'll respect that. So no problem, let's wait. And then you move forward. This is what mature, compassionate, loving interaction looks like between two human beings. Respecting each other's desires, respecting each other's needs, the willingness to understand where the other person is coming from, and at the same time, the willingness to respect myself and not 
diminish my needs or what I want just to give the other person what they want because I'm afraid they're going to leave. And I'm going to say this, and this might be some confrontive, or this might be confrontive for some of you, but I, I know this because I coach women through this stuff all the time. I have 20 some odd women in my program right now that I meet with weekly. I have a mastermind group where I talk to five women every other week. I have uh, private clients. Like, I, like I, I live in this conversation. And so I know these things happen. And a lot of women out there will meet a man they like and they will be so afraid of losing him that they compromise their values and their truth in order to keep him around. And then they feel disrespected and taken advantage of. And rather than acknowledge that I lowered my standards and my value in order to keep him, they blame him. And they say he was a jerk who never cared about what I wanted. And a lot of times what will happen is a woman will find herself in that situation with a man and she'll compromise and compromise and compromise to try to keep him and keep him and keep him. And every time she compromises, he loses a little more respect for her because he can feel it. Even if he doesn't consciously know what's happening, he can feel those compromises. He can feel her lowering her value. And so with every compromise he makes, she makes, he loses a little more respect for her. And then eventually the respect has gotten so low that he's not attracted to her anymore. And so he ends it. And from her perspective, she thinks that he just used and abused her the whole time until he was done with her and then he dropped her. And in his mind, he's going, I really like this woman. I really wanted this to go somewhere. But the more I got to know her, the more I felt like this unworthiness from her and, and this lack of self-respect and this unwillingness to hold her boundaries. And I it just, it got to the point where I wasn't attracted to her anymore. And so we have two completely different perspectives on the same situation. And what I want to say is that if both people could understand the other person's perspective, instead of being isolated in their islands, full of resentment and resistance, that they actually might be able to have a successful relationship. And so where are all the good men? It might be, might, it might, not a guarantee, but it might be one of your exes that you say is a narcissist might be one of those good men. And what happened was that your own wounding, your own fear and insecurity prevented you from being able to see that. And his wounding, his fear, his insecurity prevented him from being able to see what a good woman you are. I hope you're getting the message here is that the good men are everywhere. And for the women out there, or excuse me, for the men out there, the good women are everywhere. 
But as long as we are operating from our pain, as long as we are operating from our past and our fears and our insecurity and this need to protect ourselves, we're not able to see them. And this is a big conversation because there's, there's so much pain and everybody wants to point the finger because, you know, we don't want to feel stupid. We don't want to feel like a fool. And so we'll do anything to not acknowledge our part in things, to not acknowledge our participation in things. But I want to say this, and I know I've said this many times, is that your life is a perfect living sculpture of the way that you've participated with things. Your relationships are a perfect living sculpture of the way that you participate with them. And if you are someone who is consistently experiencing abusive relationships, then at some point you've got to ask yourself, what is my part in this? How am I showing up in a way where I'm attracting this, where I'm allowing this, where I'm accepting this, where I'm seeking it out? You know, I want to speak into the narcissist conversation for a moment because, you know, the, like the narcissist, it's, it's become such a finger pointer now. Everybody's a narcissist and, and, and like narcissism is a real thing. And we also, I've, I've spoken about this before, but we live in a culture that promotes narcissism to men and women. If you look at the advertising around different products and you look at the, um, the messages, especially in music that are communicated and in music videos, like the, the trends and the style and like the amount of grandiosity and self-importance. Like if, if you know, I think the, the most obvious ones are like, if you look at cologne commercials, commercials for cologne or perfume, it's like, oh my God, it's like a, it's like a billboard for narcissism right? Be the center of attention. Have everyone love you. Be super sexy and be in these fancy places and wear these beautiful clothes and drive this fancy car and have everybody adore you and look at you. I mean, like these, these narcissistic messages are being promoted to us constantly. So at the same time, we're all pointing the finger and saying like, this person's a narcissist and that person's a narcissist. At the same time that we're pointing the finger at it, we're all trying to be it to some degree. Lishi says, just like social media, exactly. Just like social media. We're all posting the best five minutes of our day on social media. Look at how glamorized my life is. That's narcissistic behavior. Like it is. Like I personally, I don't do that on social media. I don't share the, the highlights of my life. Look at how amazing my life is. I, I get on here and I share the real stuff about my life, about my challenges, about my struggles, about my fears. And I also try to share messages that help people. And so like this whole narcissist thing that we're all pointing the finger, we're also becoming it. It's a crazy thing to think about. 
But what I was going to say is that, you know, when we talk about all these narcissist men out there who are just using and abusing women and disregarding them, like, how did they become that way? We've got to ask ourselves that. How did these men become that way? And I don't know if this is true for all of them. I think, I think there are a lot of variations. I think abuse has a lot to do with it. I think the, the culture of toxic masculinity that a lot of our fathers and, and uncles lived, lived in and being passed down to us, I think that has a lot to do with it. But I think one thing that has a lot to do with it is starting at a very young age, there were certain groups of men that rose to the top in terms of desirability and attractiveness. These were the athletes. These were the um, musicians, the, the, the people, you know, in a school. Like, you know, if I went to a school, like I think about my high school had 2,500 people in it. Well, out of 2,500 people, there was a very small group of people that were considered to be the popular ones, the desirable ones, the attractive ones, the ones that everyone was trying to be like. You know, 2,500 kids, most of them feel irrelevant. And there's this very small group of people that are like adored and, and looked at as like, you know, the, the best kids in the school. And like, if you want a recipe for narcissism, be one of the popular kids in high school. <laughs> That'll create a narcissist. The, the assumption that for some reason, because of how you look, because of what your body looks like, that you're somehow better than everyone else in the school. Like that, that type of like self-importance, like that's a recipe to create narcissism right there. And then I think what has largely happened, especially as it relates to men, is a lot of these, a lot of these men from the time they were young boys have been the most attractive men they were of all the, you know, men around. They've stood out. They've been desire, they've been desired. Women wanted them more than other men. And so what's happened for these men is they've developed this complex like they're God. And the reason they developed that complex, and this isn't an excuse, I'm not excusing their behavior, but what I'm saying is we've got we've to have a bigger perspective. We've got to understand what's actually happening here. And these men developed a God complex because their whole lives, they've been able to have, any, they've been able to have women any way they wanted them women falling all over themselves to be with these men. And so women have never held boundaries with these men. And so these men have developed the idea that they can be any way they want to be. And it doesn't matter that they can get away with it. And, and what's happening is even now, Women are still pursuing these men because they're still the most attractive. They're still the most desirable. And, you know, I'm saying all of this to illustrate how we all have a part in this. You know, for the ladies out there, and, and I say this with love and I say this with the intention to bring about healing and empowerment for you. For the ladies out there, any time that you have ever compromised yourself, your truth, what you really wanted, any time that you have ever compromised yourself 
in order to please a man or keep him in your life, you have contributed to women taking advantage of men overall in the world. Because you have communicated and you have taught men, like we teach people how to treat us, and you have communicated and you have taught men that it is okay to disregard someone's truth because you allowed him to do it to you. Now, this isn't blame. I understand why you did that. I understand you did that as a result of your own trauma, of your own pain, right? It wasn't your fault. You weren't wrong for doing that. You were just trying to be loved. And you probably did with him the same thing you did with your parents when you were young. That wasn't your fault. But can you, can you see and understand that in doing that, you became a part of perpetuating this. And I would say the, the flip side is also true. For all the ladies out there, anytime you've maintained a standard and held a boundary with a man and said, no, 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 that's not okay with me. This is the line for me. This is my truth. Anytime you've held that line with a man, you have contributed to men treating women better overall in the world. You have been a part of teaching men the lesson that it is important for them to honor and respect women's boundaries. And, you know, one other, one other thing that I think is very important to bring into this conversation is that when it comes to healing for men and women, there's got to be this willingness to connect with someone's humanness. And I want to share this. You know, it's it, my wife and I often joke about this. But so when I... I think about the day that my wife and I connected for the first time. We had, we had met each other before, but this was the time we connected for the first time. And we ended up spending this whole weekend together. We, we met like a group of friends were getting together for a brunch. And we connected and started talking at the brunch. And then after brunch, we went and got coffee. And then after coffee, we went and got dinner. And then the next day she came over to my place and we hung out and talked and, and we ended up spending the whole weekend together. And, um, you know, the, the day, that first day that we connected, it was, uh, it, it was funny because, you know, she, she will share that I was not her picture of attraction. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and I, I say this, let me just give you some context here. So I was, um, I mean, I was, I was in my twenties at the time. So I was young. She was a little bit older than me. My wife is eight years older than me. So she had, you know, she was a little further along in her life. She's a little more established. You know, she had her own home and I, I had a roommate and, you know, it was like, our, we were in a little bit different places in our life. But, um, you know, I, I think about like that day. And so just to give you context, I was wearing this uh, red Nicaragua tank top that came from Nicaragua and I wore it like every day. It was like my favorite shirt and, and these board shorts that I also wore like every day, not every single day, but a lot. 
And they were both covered in paint because I used to paint a lot. So I'm wearing like these paint splattered clothes. I had these big old aviator sunglasses on and I had, uh, I was wearing my mala beads. If anyone knows what mala beads are, I was wearing mala beads around my neck. And, and she, I gave her, I gave her a ride back to the place she was staying that day. And she's like, I just remember you in your car with your Nicaragua shirt and your mala beads and your big old aviator sunglasses driving me home with your foot up on the, on the dashboard. And, you know, she's like, you were just quite a sight, right? And, you know, I think about that because I get it. Like I was not her picture of attraction. You know, she always imagined someone who was more sophisticated and someone who, you know, maybe had a different style, someone who's a little bit taller. Like my wife and I are the same height. You know, she always imagined herself as someone who was taller because, you know, when she wears high heels, she like, she's taller than me. And so there was, there was this element of like her looking at me and going like, I'm not attracted to you. while at the same time being attracted to me for some reason. And like, this is, I would say where my wife is incredibly wise because she picked me. No, I'm kidding. Um, But this is where my wife is incredibly wise because she, she was conscious enough and aware enough to be able to hold both of these possibilities at the same time. Right? Like, This person does not match up to my superficial idea of attraction. My whole life, when I imagined what my person would look like, this person doesn't fit that. And yet, there's something in the interaction between us, in the way that we speak to each other, in the way that we communicate in our shared values, in, in the fact that we both love Jesus. You know, my wife, uh, when we were having coffee, she, uh, she looks down at my phone and she sees that I have Jesus on my screensaver. And she's like, well, that's interesting. And, and so, you know, there's, there's something happening here where she goes, this person doesn't match my superficial idea of attraction And yet at the same time, there's something happening for me that I can't quite explain where I'm attracted to this person. And I think that that happens all the time for people. But the question is, are we open enough to experience that? Or are we so rigid in our beliefs about how it's supposed to look and what it's supposed to be like that we can't allow that in. You know, like I'll I'll just share this. I um when I was when I was dating, I got friend zoned a lot. And, and I honestly think like the reason is is because I'm I'm short, you know? And like I would have these deep, like intimate, connected, like friendships with women. And and I would and I would be completely honest and I would be like, I really want to take this to the next level with you. Like, I think you're amazing. I think we could have a great relationship. And, and I would, and I would like communicate that. And I would be honest. And I would be like consistent and willing to show up and I would get friend zoned. And when I got friend zoned, like I was never desperate. I was never, I was never a desperate individual. When I got friend zoned and I saw that it wasn't going anywhere. I said, Hey, like 
wish you much love. I hope you find what you're looking for and I would remove myself. I was never one of those people who just hang around being someone's friend, hoping for more. And I just remember like several, several of, of the women that I had these like really close relationships with and I really wanted to take it to the next level, they would, they would not choose me and then they would go choose some guy. And then like, I just remember like one night, one of these women in particular, like she calls me up and she's like, he's drunk. He's, he's like, he broke the mirror in my bedroom. He's on a rampage. Like I need to take my daughter and go somewhere. Can I come to your house? And I was actually with my girlfriend at the time. She calls me at like 2 AM and my phone rings and I answer it. And I was at my girlfriend's house and I was like, sure, go to my house. I was like, my roommate's there. Just knock on the door. They'll let you in. And you know, and, and she, she stayed in my room that night. And I, I would see these women that like, I really wanted a relationship with not choose me, even though we had this deep, intimate connection. And I know that to some degree it was romantic for them as well, but they wouldn't choose me because I didn't match up to the superficial picture of what they thought a man was supposed to look like. And I'm fine with it. Uh, like, uh, please don't hear me communicating any resentment here. I don't have any. I, I'm very happily married. I'm very fulfilled in my marriage. I don't, I don't have any strong opinions about this. I'm just talking about my observations. And, you know, my wife was someone who was able to really challenge that in herself. And so she saw the superficial picture that she had. And then she saw that I didn't necessarily match up to that. But at the same time, she felt something. And she said, you know what? Let me follow what I feel. Let me challenge my superficial conditioning about what this is supposed to look like and follow what I feel. And we celebrated seven years on Sunday. It's our seven year anniversary. We've created a marriage that has blown away any, any possibility of like, I mean, anything that we had ever experienced in the past, we've created a marriage that goes so far beyond that, that like, I mean, you can't even touch it. It's like, it's like, oh my God, I look back on any of my past relationships, even the ones I thought were good. And I'm like, this doesn't even come close. And so I say this to say that one of the reasons that it's so challenging to find a quote, good man out there is because you're not open enough. You're not, you're not open enough to maybe explore relationships with men that don't match this image, this superficial image that you've created in your mind. And what you've got to realize is you didn't even really create that image. That image didn't come from like a conscious, heartfelt, spiritually guided process of searching your own soul. That image came from a conditioning that you received maybe based on the impressions you got when you were a child, when you went into middle school and high school, it's like, 
What do I have to do to be popular? What do I have to do to be accepted? What kind of person do I have to be with so that everyone's going to um, admire me? Right? And then all of that translates into our adult life. And, and, and the same, the same is true for men as well. Like I, this isn't just women, like men do this very, like men are very much about like, oh, I need to have this perfect model of a, of a woman of, you know, who does all this stuff and, you know, is a lady in the streets and a freak in the bed and, and, you know, has this perfect body type and, you know, behaves all these certain ways. Like men do it too. Women and men do it to each other, but that's the problem, right? That's the problem is we've got to stop looking for this perfect ideal of a human and we've got to start feeling into our soul about what do I really need in a relationship? What are the qualities that I really need in a partner that are going to have that person love me and care for me truly and that I'm going to be able to trust and love this person? So I see this question here. Is it possible to is it possible to build a relationship with a great guy but there is not attraction? No, there needs to be attraction. Like my wife when when I share this, my wife was attracted to me and I was attracted to her. But what I'm saying is we didn't match this superficial conditioning of how we thought it was supposed to look. So there needs to be attraction, but this is the difference because you could be attracted to a lot more people than you are attracted to. And you say, Shane, how do I know this? How do I know this? Because I've been working with people around their healing for over a decade now. And I've seen what happens to people when they open their hearts and when they heal some of the trauma that is causing them to feel that they need this perfect superficial model, which really isn't about love. Like having that perfect superficial model is not about love. That's about trying to protect yourself. That's about approval. That's about how it's gonna look to the people around you. It's about living up to some ideal of a life that you thought you were supposed to have that's not based on anything that's true for you in your soul, right? So your question is, can I, build a, can I build a great relationship with a guy when there's no attraction? No, you can't. But the question you want to ask yourself is what is generating my attraction? Where is my attraction coming from? What is going on inside of me that says I'm attracted to this person, but not this person? And what I was sharing about my wife was she had that superficial model. And when she met me, she's like, oh, well, he doesn't match up to my superficial model. And she struggled with that a little bit. But she was also, she had done enough of her own healing work to be able to feel into her heart and say, even though this person doesn't match up to my superficial model, I still feel attracted to him. And like, I'll be honest, it was, it was very similar with me to her. You know, she was not the type that I normally dated. You know, I shared like, we're the same height. I normally dated women who were shorter than me, right? Like it, it wasn't my, my model of what I thought it would look like. Like she didn't really fit that either. 
But I had also done enough work on myself that like, I didn't really care about that. Like it, it didn't really matter to me, like to have a, a specific type of person. Like what mattered to me was to have a person that I could relate with on the deepest levels. You know, I remember like, I've, I've had plenty of relationships with women in my past that matched my superficial idea of what it was supposed to look like. And what I found in those relationships was there was an emotional depth that I was craving that I couldn't really reach with them. And I know a lot of you feel this way too, is you've been in relationships with people, with men or, and or women who have fit that model, but you go, there's something missing here. There's something, there's something not quite right. There's something like, like, I love this person. I care about them. They're a great person, but I, I feel like something missing in my soul, right? Like I just don't connect with them in the deepest ways. And this was just my wife and I's story. I'm not, I'm not saying this is everyone's story. I'm not saying it's going to be your story, but our story was that to find that person that we related with on those deepest levels, we had to go outside of our superficial models of attraction. That doesn't mean we weren't attracted to each other. And like, I, I want to be very clear about that. Like the attraction from the beginning was intense we were intensely attracted to each other. It was just coming from a place inside of us that we didn't fully understand. And the only reason we were open to that and available for that was because we had done enough work on ourselves to realize that at the end of the day, that superficial stuff didn't really matter to us. You know, when we're, when we're sitting at home on the couch at night and we're snuggling with each other and we're watching our show and drinking our mocktails and, you know, or, or going to bed and snuggling each other and holding each other. And, or when we wake up together and we're, you know, making breakfast and like wishing each other a great day, like, you know, in those moments, how our relationship looks on the outside or what other people might think about it or, or how it might appear in a superficial sense doesn't really matter. And so one of our lessons was that we had to get clear about what was really important versus being attached to these superficial things that aren't so important. And, you know, if, if we look at love as a teacher, if we look at love as, as something that is bringing us toward the highest version of ourselves then I think one of the things that love is teaching us is that it's not about the superficial. It's not about how it looks from the outside. It's not about what other people are going to think. It's not about trying to fit into some model of how I thought it was supposed to all look. But it's actually about what's going on on the inside. And it's about making the inner truth more important than the outer appearance. And so what I want to say in regards to this question, and it was a fantastic question, can you build a relationship without attraction? No, you can't. But the question is, 
How do I become attracted to more people more often? How do I become the kind of person who can see something in somebody that's different from the superficial values that our world operates in and I can be attracted to that? How do I open up my heart enough that I am more attracted to other people's heart than their appearance? And when you start to live your life on that basis, the whole attraction thing will have a very different, you'll have a very different relationship with it. And, you know, what what I've found is like, I could be attracted to most people these days. Like there's, it's, I mean, there are people that I just couldn't be attracted to at all. Like there are those people out there. But what I found for myself is I could be attracted to most people. Like anytime I sit down and have a conversation, I'm like, there are amazing qualities about this person. There are wildly attractive characteristics about every single person I meet for the most part. There are some people that are just really shut down and really closed off and really, you you know, they're just, they're not my people at all. And I don't relate with them at all. But so once you get to that place where it's like, I could be attracted to lots of people. I could be attracted to most people. Then the attraction conversation isn't such a big deal anymore. And then it becomes about, I'm just trying to find someone that I really relate with in the deepest ways. And going back to the topic for today, because I want to bring it full circle here, in answering the question of where are all the good men they might be standing right next to the men that you're attracted to. And you're just saying, I'm not attracted to them. And you might have developed a very conditioned view of reality and a very conditioned view of men in which you are filtering out, in which you are filtering out the the men that you're not compatible with. Or or maybe I should say that differently. You're filtering out the men that you are compatible with, focusing in on the men that you're not compatible with. And that is a conditioned training that has been happening throughout your life. And so, Yuri, I see you asking a follow-up question here. Is there such a thing as the complete package, good-looking guys with good feelings? Yes, there is. The problem is not that they're not out there. The problem is that you don't have eyes to see them right now. Like, this is, you've got to understand, you're creating the world in your own mind. You're creating men in your own mind. Even even when you say, are there good-looking guys out there with good feelings? You're the one who says what looks good and what doesn't. There's not an objective truth that some men are good-looking and some men are not good-looking. That's something you've invented in your mind based on your past conditioning. And when you can be flexible enough 
in your belief systems, in your conditioned view of reality, to allow more possibility than you've allowed in the past, you will suddenly realize there are a lot more good-looking guys than you've ever seen before. You'll start walking down the street going, oh my God, there are good-looking guys everywhere. They're all over the place. Where have they been my whole life? Why haven't I seen them? Well, because you've conditioned yourself to look for very specific things and you've been filtering out everything else. And often the very specific things that we condition ourselves to look for are the very toxic things. Because that's what we were taught in our upbringing. You know, when you, when you think back to like middle school and high school, and you think of all the guys that all the girls were into, like, were they the most kind-hearted, genuine, warm, accepting, understanding, compassionate guys in school? Probably not. A lot of times they were the jocks. They were the bullies. They were the guys who made fun of the other guys. And so like, you've got to understand when you say, why can't I find the full package? It's because you're not open to the full package. And this is a tough thing to really let in. I wouldn't be saying this if I hadn't, if I hadn't worked with women for the last decade, unraveling these kinds of conversations and seeing them suddenly realize what they've been doing their whole lives and going like, oh my God, I finally see it. And by the way, and I want to be clear about this, it's not just women doing it. Men are doing it too. And when I coach men, I coach them on the exact same thing. Because finding love, finding love is not about finding this picture-perfect person who's going to check all your boxes and they're super hot. And when you walk down the street with them, everyone's going to ooh and ah and be jealous about the beautiful, you know, sexy couple that you are. That's not what finding love is about. Finding love. I don't even like calling it that, but just for the sake of conversation, let's go with it. Finding love, finding that person is about opening your heart so that it's large enough to be receptive to the person who is right for you. And I'm going to say, when you meet that person, no matter who they are, there are going to be aspects of them that fit in with that superficial idea, and you go, ooh, yeah, I, that feels really good. That, I really like that. And then there are going to be aspects of them that don't fit in with it. And you're going to say, ooh, I don't like that so much. And you're going to have to reconcile that within yourself. You're going to have to find a place in yourself that's large enough to accept the humanness of that person, that they are not a perfect sculpture of your ideal relationship, that they're just a person. They're just a human. And some of the aspects of them may fit into your superficial box, and some of the aspects may not. And if you're still filtering people based on superficiality, you're not loving. You're judging. 
And because you're judging, you're going to receive that from other people. And you're going to become a part of the nightmare. And I'm going to tell you, I've interviewed tons and tons of married couples. I've coached married couples. I'm talking about people who've been married for years. And here's the truth, is that every single truly loving, deep, fulfilling marriage, there are aspects of each other's partner that they don't love. There are things about my wife that don't fit into my box. There are things about me that don't fit into her box. We have had many situations in our relationship where she has brought up something she didn't like or I brought up something I didn't like. And we've had to work through that and we've had to compromise or or we've had to accept, we've had to allow. And why do we do that? Why do we make those compromises? Why do we accept those aspects of our partners? We do it because on a heart level, we have something that's so much bigger than all of that. And if you're struggling to understand what I'm saying right now, it's because you have not opened your heart to that degree. If you have opened your heart to that degree, what I'm saying right now will make perfect sense. You know, this, this is going to be the last thing I say, and I'll have time for maybe one or two questions. So if anybody, uh, if you have a question you'd like me to speak into today, go ahead, drop it into the chat. I'm going to get to him in just a moment. But what I want to say is this whole idea of how men are supposed to be or how women are supposed to be what a good relationship looks like, you know, what, like all, and I want to give some examples of what I'm talking about. Like men should be taller than women or men should pay all the bills and women should be homemakers or, and any version of this, right? You can extrapolate it across all the stereotypes. Those things are judgments. And when you get intimately involved with a person, you may find that you embody, that your relationship embodies some of those judgments. And you may find that your relationship does not embody others of those judgments. And you are going to have a very unique situation that is only yours. Like your relationship is not supposed to look like anyone else's relationship. Your relationship is not supposed to be this model of superficiality that that like people want to see on Instagram. That's not love. Your relationship is going to be a very unique creation that is only yours. And most of it will be something that people never even know. It'll be something that happens behind closed doors in the intimacy of your life together that people never even see or never even know about. And all these ideas that are fed to us about how men are supposed to be and how women are supposed to be, and you need to look for a man that's like this or like that or the other thing, 
Like a lot of it is bullshit. I'm not saying there's not any truth in any of it. But when it comes down to it, the only thing you really need is someone who is going to love you unconditionally. Someone who's going to show up for you day in and day out. Someone who's going to work hard for your relationship and the life that you're building together. That's really all you need. Everything else can be compromised. And what I want, what I want you to recognize is that you have probably already passed up people in your life that you could have had that with multiple times. Most of you who will hear this message, whether you're live with me today, whether you're listening to the podcast, most of you have passed up already multiple times people that you could have had that with because they didn't fit into some model of how you thought it was supposed to look. And if you're doing that in your life, what I want to say is that you don't really want love. You might think you do, but there are other things that you want more than love. And as long as you want those other things more than love, you'll get to have those things. And you will keep choosing them above love over and over and over and over and over again until you finally realize how empty they are. Until you finally realize that you've been doing everything, you've been living your life for other people, for how it's going to look for them, for what they're going to think, for how they're going to judge you, for what their opinions are going to be, trying to live into some conditional model that you've been sold since the time you were a little kid. And you've been sacrificing your own happiness in order to live up to what other people thought you were supposed to have. And when you finally see that you're doing that, you'll stop doing it. And that is the time when you will be open to love. And it doesn't mean it's going to show up immediately. It doesn't mean it's going to, you know, just poof, show up like instantly. But it means that you will start operating on a new foundation and that foundation will lead you to new experiences and your whole relationship with dating and the opposite sex will be very different. How it feels for you, what you believe is possible, what you see when you look at the dating pool, it will all be very different. Okay, so I see a question here from Natty Strick. I'm going to start with this question. Um, I'll have time for maybe... Maybe two, three questions today. So if anybody, um, if anyone wants to drop a question, I'm going to start with this one. I'll get to as many as I can. Um, Natty Strick asks, how can you spot right away a man who's not looking for a relationship without asking for him, without asking him? Some tend to say they want one. Beautiful question, Natty. Thank you for asking. 
So what I want to say, and I, I love this question because it's going to allow me to shed light on some of the things we've talked about today. How do you spot a man who's not looking for a relationship? Because of the conditioning that men have received, which is that they're supposed to be a playboy, they're supposed to be noncommittal, they're supposed to be wanted by lots of women, right? Like this is the conditioning that men have received. So largely, largely a lot of men don't know if they want a relationship or not. Because, you see, here's, here's the difference. Women, young girls, from the time that you were little, like, you've been dressing up and pretending to get married. I mean, I know maybe not all of you did that, but a lot of little girls do that, right? It's like you watch the Disney movies and you think of finding your prince and, and it's like this, this fantasy around falling in love and being in love and having your prince or your king. And, like, like this, is, this is a huge fantasy for women. It's something that young girls are taught and encouraged from the time, like from the time they're born, basically. And so for women, it's like the desire to have a relationship is the most natural thing in the world. Again, I understand there are exceptions. Please don't, please don't hear me saying that I'm saying this is all women everywhere. But I, I'm saying that culturally, for so many women, it's like wanting to get into a relationship is just second nature. But you've got to understand, if a little boy was to dress up in a suit and pretend to walk down the aisle with all his stuffed animals watching, his own father would make fun of him in most cases. Like, his, even his own mother might make fun of him. What kind of a sissy are you? So whereas women their whole lives have been encouraged to fall in love, get married, have a relationship, men their entire lives have been encouraged not to do that. And this is where I say, like, you've got to stop judging. And I'm not talking to you specifically, Natty. I'm talking to everybody. But this is where we've got to stop judging and start understanding. Because underneath that conditioning, women have been conditioned to want a man Men have been conditioned to have women want them, to be the kind of man who gets women everywhere he goes, and I could take your girlfriend, right? Like, all of this, right? Like, these, this is the conditioning that men are given. And so, when underneath this, underneath a woman's conditioning to get into a relationship, and a man's conditioning to be this ultra-independent playboy who can have all the women he, want, he wants, underneath that, there is a sincere, heartfelt desire to love and to be loved on both sides. Because that's not part of, that's not part of our conditioning. That's part of being human. Now, here's what I want to say. And this is, where, this is where we've got to expand our awareness because we often think that the woman's desire to fall in love and have a relationship and get married and all of that is good. And the man's desire to be a playboy and have lots of women and be able to live that life is bad, right? And we often think, oh, here are these innocent women that they want good things. They just want to love 
and they're so innocent. And here are these toxic playboy men that just want to use and abuse, and they're so guilty. What I want to say is both of these things are, are kind of toxic. I know that might shock some of you, but but listen, but hear me out on this. Hear me out on this, okay? Because it's it's easy to see how toxic it is for a man to use and abuse women and go around and just, you know, say whatever I have to do to get in your pants and then the next day I'm gone and I don't even care, right? Like it's easy to see how toxic that is. But we often don't look at the toxicity of this desperation to get into a relationship with someone. And so when when it, it when we end up in the dating world, there's there's this element of like men having this ultra independent conditioning, women having this ultra codependent conditioning, and then them meeting each other. And it's like, they just, it's like they can't get along because their conditioning is so different. But neither one of these is really workable. His way is not workable. Her way is not workable. And and let me just say it because I know some of you are out there going, well, not all women are like that. I get it. So let's swap it. Let's say the woman is ultra independent and the man is codependent. It's the same thing. It's still not workable, right? They're still just butting heads with each other. And so underneath this codependent and ultra-independent conditioning, there's something deeper. There's a heartfelt desire to love and be loved. And that is there for every human being. Now, there are people whose conditioning is so strong and their, their, their healing is so underdeveloped that they, they don't really, um, like they're just not really available for love. Like, and that's true for a lot of people. And so it's not really a question of who wants a relationship and who doesn't. It's a question of who is available for love and who is not. And so you might have a man who, when you're getting to know him, you ask him, do you want a relationship? And he says, I don't really know. Because he's confused. Because on one level, yeah, he wants to love and be loved. He wants to, you know, he wants to have someone to come home to. He wants to have someone who cares about him. He wants to have someone in his life that he can call on a bad day and he can talk to and that she'll be there for them. Like men do want those things. They really, really do. I promise you, men want those things. And yet they have this conditioning that says, I'm not supposed to want those things. It's not manly to want those things. And so when you meet a man, he's going like, I kind of want a relationship. I don't really know, like if it was the right person, maybe, but he needs to grow into it. He needs to come to terms with it. The woman, on the other hand, is there going, I'm ready for a relationship. Are you ready or not? You need to let me know because I don't waste my time. And now what you're doing is you're pigeonholing him. And he's going, well, if, if you need an answer right this second, like, I, I guess, no. Right? Like, because he's just like, I mean, I don't feel like I'm ready. And so the way to, the way to be with a man, and I see a question here. So what do you do in a case like that? That's what I'm going to say now. The way to be with a man in that instance is to be honest about what you want. To say, listen, I really want a relationship too, 
Like whoever the more codependent person is here, and I'm using that word to contrast with the ultra-independence, so whether it's the man or the woman, because it could be either one, often it's the woman, but it could be either one. So whoever the codependent person is there, you need to slow yourself down a little bit. And whoever the ultra-independent person is, you need to open yourself up to being a little more available. And then what will happen is the two of you will meet in the middle. And you'll be able to get along with each other. So what you would do in a situation like that is you would, one, communicate what you're looking for. And I always say, like, it's okay to say it on a first date. But it's really about where you're coming from when you say it. If you're coming from trying to lock it down, it's not really a great place to come from. You're going to push people away with that energy. So what you can do is instead of trying to lock it down, right, you can, you can say, okay, like uh, uh, this is, so in my program, an Inspired Love, this is what I recommend women say on a first date. And it doesn't have to be the first date. I think it's good to feel it out maybe. If you say it on a first date or a follow-up phone call or a second date, it's okay. But like I recommend saying this early on. And I'm just going to say it as though it were the end of a first date. So let's say you've had a great night. You've really got along. The conversation was great. You're connected. You're laughing. You're having a good time. You're going, wow, I really want to see this person again. So at the end of that date, this is what you would say. You would say, hey, I have had a fantastic time tonight. It has been so much fun getting to know you. Um, I just, I would really love to see you again. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I just want to make something clear. You know, I am ultimately looking for something long-term. Like ultimately, I do want to find my partner. I do want to have that life, that home, that family, whatever it is, right? Like ultimately, I do want that. And so I just want to know if that's something that you can be open to as well. Right? Just boom. And, and if, if he says like, nope, I'm just looking to make friends, just looking for something casual. Well, then you go, okay, it's been fantastic getting to know you, but I don't think I want to see you again. Most men will not give you a hard no. Most men will give you a, yeah, I'm open to that, you know. If it's with the right person long-term, I would want that as well, right? Like most men will, will actually respond favorably to that. And then I, I want to just go back to something I've spoken about earlier because a lot of you say they say they want it, but then it turns out they don't. And that's a misunderstanding. No, they say they want it and they do want it, but maybe they decided they didn't want it with you. That's different than saying they lied to you. And you got to let that in. Right. Him saying, yeah, I could be open to that with the right person at the right time. You know, I, I could be open to that. Like that's an honest statement for him, but that doesn't mean he's going to be the one for you. That means he's going to be open to exploring with you and he may or may not decide that you're the one he wants to be with. And what I would recommend, what I would recommend for all the ladies out there is that you should actually be the same way, <laughs> right? So yeah, long-term, I'm looking for that. I'm open to it, but I'm not sold on you right now. Just because we had one good date doesn't mean I'm ready to commit with you. And this is where I say this desire to get right into a relationship right away is just as toxic as having no desire for a relationship. 
right? Like this is where you've got to slow yourself down and you've got to be like, okay, I like you. I've enjoyed this date. I've enjoyed these phone calls we've had. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. I'm excited about this, but I'm not sold on this. And, you know, it's, it's so important. Like the way, the way love develops naturally, it just doesn't happen in a matter of a few weeks or even a few months. You know, attraction can develop in that amount of time. Interest can develop in that amount of time. Curiosity can develop in that amount of time. Having loving feelings for another human being, like I get that you're a human and there are amazing things about you and I have love for you, that can develop in that amount of time. But being in love with someone, that develops over the period of, I'd say like a year. And, and so if you're in love with someone right away, you got to recognize that ain't love. That's trauma. That's your fear of being left alone, your fear of being abandoned, your fear of I'm not going to find anyone. That's all your fear and all your trauma trying to cling on to someone and saying, make me safe. Promise me you'll never leave and that I can trust you and that I'll never have to be alone again. That ain't love. Like you've got to get it. That is not love. And so going back to the question, let me scroll back here. I just want to make sure I answered it. How can you spot a man right away who's not looking for a relationship? Look, I would say the way you spot that man is by giving the relationship time to unfold, by keeping your feet on the ground, by not being too convinced by anyone too quickly, by not being in a rush to get involved. And here's what's going to happen. The men who are willing and ready to show up for a relationship are going to become more invested and more consistent over time. And the men who are not ready are going to become less invested and less consistent over time. And what you need to do is give it enough time to watch that happen one way or the other. And if you see a man becoming less invested and less consistent, what you do is you have a talk with him and you say, hey, I've noticed that in the beginning of us seeing each other, you were showing up like this. And since then, you've been showing up like this. I've noticed a decrease in frequency in how often you call or how often you text. I noticed you're not as interested in getting together as you used to be. And I just want to know, like, is, is there something going on that we need to talk about? Or are you just not interested? Right? You need to be courageous enough to have that conversation. And then that's going to lead you to the natural next step. Whether he says, you know what? No, I've just, I've just been busy. It's just been a lot on my plate. I've had a lot going on at work. My mom's been in the hospital a bit, right? Like he might share some of that. And that's where you can understand and that's where you can say, I get it totally. But look, you know, if we're going to continue seeing each other, if we're going to continue talking, I would like to be able to see each other at least maybe once a week or twice a week. You know, I'd like to be able to talk maybe daily or every couple of days. Right. Do you think that's something that would work? 
And he'll either say yes or no. And he'll either follow through on it. Right? If he says yes, he'll either follow through on it or he won't. Like I, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of women who have had this conversation with a man and he says, yeah, absolutely, I'll do it. And then he doesn't follow through on it. And that's where you've got to say, okay, got it. He's not following through on it. So I'm going to detach. I'm going to feel my feelings around it, but I'm going to start letting go of this relationship consciously. I'm not going to keep clinging to it and grasping at it. You know, it's... I want to bring it full circle and I'm going to close out with this. I saw a few more questions come in, but it's about time for me to wrap up here. But thank you for the questions and, and please keep coming back and asking them. And, and I do my best to get to as many as I can each week. But, but the message I really want to get across today is this, that we've got to elevate the conversation from there being something wrong with men or being something wrong with women. We've got to elevate the conversation beyond that. We've got to understand that we all have trauma. We all have pain. We're all looking for a way to heal that or have that get better or feel better about that. And we all have different conditioning. Growing up as a man in this world is very, very different than growing up as a woman in this world. And not only are there biological, hormonal, evolutionary differences, like certain drives that just are driving the bus for us on a, on a level of nature. There's that, which is vastly different between men and women. I, I didn't really get into that today, but that's there. And then there's the conditional element of our upbringing and our, the impressions we've received throughout our life. And so there are vast differences in the way men perceive the world and women perceive the world. And because of these vast differences in perception, there is an incredible amount of misunderstanding. And all of the hate and the resentment that we feel between men and women, all the hate and the resentment that men and women have against each other is the result of misunderstanding. Because at the end of the day, I think we really love each other. At the end of the day, I think we really want a lot of the same things. But we have very different perspectives on how to get there. Or on what they even mean to us. And that's where we have to be able to reconcile our differences in the meantime as we get to know each other, as we explore. But being able to reconcile those differences requires a high level of maturity and a, and a large degree of having an open heart and the willingness to have love be the most important thing and to engage in each interaction with love. So that's the message for today. It's, it's really been a pleasure being with all of you. Thank you so much, um, those of you who tuned, in, who, who tuned in with me today. Um, it's always great being here with you, and I'm sending so much love to all of you. Uh, those of you who had questions, thank you for your questions. Um, you know, I always appreciate the questions. And um, sending so much love. I know, and I always end with this, is that I know that navigating these waters is 
one of the most difficult things we do in life. It is one of the most confusing and complex and challenging things we do in life. And that's why I'm here, that's why I do this, right? Is to help create that awareness that we can, we can heal and we can love and we can be our truest selves and have that lead. And, and I want you to know that when you lead with your truest, most authentic self, you will be led to everything that's right for you. So sending so much love to everybody today. Thank you for being with me. Sending you many blessings, all the best, and I'll see you back here. Um, actually, I won't, be, I won't be live next Tuesday. I have a podcast interview coming out with uh, my friend Lindsay, who's an amazing coach, and she's, um, she's speaking into some topics that uh, if you enjoyed today's conversation, the conversation we have is uh, going to be really powerful for you as well. So uh, that'll be next week. I'll actually be out of town, but I'll be back here live in two weeks. And um, sending many love, many blessings to all of you. I'll see you back here in a couple weeks. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks again for checking out the show. Please subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on the most. And I would love it so much if you leave a review and tell people what you think of us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at The Living Relationship to connect more closely. And I'm grateful to be supporting you on your journey to love.